Hello, this is Faithful Discourse with Chris Henry, a series of conversations at the intersection of religious faith and public life. I'm your host, Chris Henry. Near the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells a parable that describes a scene of judgment, a dividing of souls as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. The judgment he describes is not based on ability, gifts, or aptitudes. Perhaps more surprisingly, the judge does not consider beliefs, confessions of faith, saying the right thing. The basis of the judgment is this. Did you see your neighbor in need, and did you respond with compassion? Followers of Jesus are called to love our neighbors even more than our deeply held convictions. Why? Because when we love our neighbors, we are loving God. Whatever you did for a neighbor in need, you have done for God. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Wheeler Mission is a place of help, healing, and hope for neighbors in need in the city of Indianapolis and across the state of Indiana. Founded in 1893, Wheeler is the oldest continuously operating ministry of its kind in the state, providing critically needed goods and services to individuals experiencing homelessness, poverty, and need. And since March of 2023, Wheeler has been led by my guest today. Perry Hines is president and CEO of Wheeler Mission, bringing a depth and breadth of experience in both for-profit and nonprofit organizations around the country. He's a former C-suite marketing executive with decades of experience in some of America's premier companies. Perry has served on the boards of the Indianapolis Urban League, Indiana Humanities, Madam Walker Theater Center, Indianapolis Zoo, and countless other organizations. He is a mentor, a community leader, and a man of deep and impactful faith. Perry Hines, welcome to Faithful Discourse. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are so glad that you are here. Our conversations on this podcast center on the places where faith and public life intersect, and your story seems to me filled with such places. Tell me a little bit about your sense of call to lead Wheeler and how your past experience and your life of faith have informed your current work. Well, that's a great question, Chris. Um, I am probably the most unlikely uh, and... um, Uh, CEO of any rescue mission or shelter Mm. provider in the country. Mm. I'm not an ordained pastor. I don't have that faith-based background, Mm -hmm. uh, formal training. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a business person. I'm Mm African-American, and so there's not a lot of us in this space. Mm. And it's something that I never saw. I just turned 60. I never Mm. saw myself doing at age 60. Mm. Um, So when when this opportunity came up, uh, it actually— I'm a longtime resident of, of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. have volunteered for Wheeler, and uh, uh, have always admired the organization and what it's done over the past 130 years here in the mm-hmm. city. And so I was asked several years ago back, I think it was in 2021, mm-hmm. to think about or consider coming on board and helping Wheeler yeah. uh, raise funds mm-hmm. from a fundraising standpoint. Sure. And I had been a consultant for about 17 years mm-hmm. with my own consulting group. Mm-hmm after having had a 25, 30-year career in corporate America all around the country. Mm-hmm. And so I was not too keen on like looking at something and ha- being a W-2 employee again. And so <laughs> yes. yeah, something about being a consultant and having that uh, freedom and flexibility. Sure. But they asked me to uh, consider and pray about uh, coming on board and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, help them raise funds. 
I did that, and uh, that was my first introduction to Wheeler mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And I got to tell you, Chris, it's yeah. looking at it from the outside, it's nothing mm-hmm. like being on the inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wheeler is just an incredible organization filled with incredible people, mm-hmm. fulfilling an incredible mission. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, my first foray into um, this space mm-hmm. has been with Wheeler, first mm-hmm. as fundraising, and then later they uh, asked me to consider and pray about replacing the retiring CEO, a guy named Rick Alvis, mm-hmm. who basically dedicated 33-plus years of his family's life to Wheeler Mission. Mm. And uh, I thought that was an incredible opportunity. Not at first. Yes. I turned it down. Okay. Uh, I yeah. said, they asked me to think about and pray about it. And I yeah. said, uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do this. not something I see myself mm. doing. Mm. I will support the new person coming in. But yes. as you know— Easiest way to make God laugh is to tell him your plans, and uh, it was not in our plans Mm. at all. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of four or five months, I heard the calling. Mm. Uh, Actually, I don't like to use that word too much because Mm. people, I think it's overused, calling. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I came to understand that the next chapter of my journey, Mm. my spiritual journey and walk with Christ, was to help those who society has mostly forgotten about. Yes and to help lead an organization and be a transitional figure. Mm -hmm. Because I Mm -hmm. told them I can't be a Rick Alvis. I can't be there for 33 (laughs) 33 years years, because I'm 60. Um, (laughs) But I can help get it to the next phase Mm -hmm. for the next 8 to 10 years. And so that's kind of where I am and how I looked at this. And actually, uh, for me, it was God spoke to me. Mm -hmm. He's only spoken to me, Chris, twice Mm -hmm. in my life. I, you often hear about people saying, oh, God spoke to you. And, you know, God often speaks to me through lots of other means, mm-hmm. but not directly to me. Mm-hmm. In this case, he did. He mm-hmm. said four words. And um, he basically said, I was thinking, and I was at a conference in April and listening to other CEOs of other rescue mm-hmm. missions, some larger than ours, mm-hmm. um, and listening to them. And they were talking about their their journeys and what, what God was doing in their cities through their their missions. And me being arrogant and just being so full of myself and self-absorbed, mm-hmm. thinking within myself, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to them and thinking, you're not that good. You can't hardly <laughs> speak. You know, you're, you're not speaking very clearly. And mm-hmm. I, I could do that. Yeah. And God said four words, mm-hmm. do it for me. Mm-hmm. Said wow. it a couple of times, do wow. it for me. Wow. Wow. And that spurred me on and talking more to my wife, who was not in a place to think about this couples mm-hmm. ministry in the city. Mm-hmm. She was just mm-hmm. retiring from Butler University, mm-hmm. teaching there in a business school for over 10 years. And mm-hmm. we have two new grandkids. And so wow. we were ready to be, yeah. you know, different kind, of, start, kind of different chapter. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah. start to wind down in life. and yeah. But uh, we were called to this mm-hmm. uh, by God. And, and uh, you know, it's been a very impactful and, and uh, sobering and mm-hmm. um, eye-opening, mm-hmm. you know, past mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate that story and the way that uh, clearly, you know, the biblical narratives of call almost always include some sort of resistance or uh, or <laughs> turn down initially, and uh, and the persistence of the Spirit's call um, in our lives. You don't have to be in in the city of Indianapolis long to hear about Wheeler, to see Wheeler, um, and yet I, I appreciate what you've said that from the outside it's hard to grasp what Wheeler Mission is about and how its work functions. I wonder about how how now that you've been in this role uh, coming up on a year, how would you describe what Wheeler does to someone who has never been on the inside or seen the operations of Wheeler Mission? Sure, I. One of my favorite topics to talk about is Wheeler. 
Mm-hmm. I was telling someone the other day that probably 50% of my job is to educate mm-hmm. yes. you know, about what Wheeler is and about what homelessness is and, right. and all the vi- different variables. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, Wheeler has had the blessing of having high brand recognition, so high brand awareness in this community and in Bloomington mm-hmm. for the past yep. six to seven years, mm-hmm. uh, but low brand knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people have heard about us, and they, they've uh, seen our signs, Jesus Save sign mm-hmm. downtown, and, mm-hmm. and know some, a little bit of something about us, mm-hmm. um, but they really don't know that we're so much more than probably what, the, uh, mm-hmm. what, what they think. Yeah. So, you know, Chris, homelessness is a complex issue, mm-hmm. and there's so many factors that go into homelessness. Housing displacement due to evictions. And actually, just affordability. Indianapolis mm-hmm. has a very much a lack of affordable housing. Yes. Unemployment, lack of job skills. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a really complex issue. And so, but Wheeler, what I like to say about Wheeler is, you may think we do nothing but emergency shelter services, mm-hmm. and surely that is what we do: providing a hot, nourishing meal, care, a warm bed, warm shower. Uh, but we're so much more than that. That mm-hmm. emergency shelter services is only about 50% of what we okay. do. Yeah. So we have long-term uh, drug and addiction recovery programs. Mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, workforce development programs. Mm-hmm. We try to get people stabilized and, and to find housing and employment uh, after their stay at Wheeler is over. Yeah. So um, our vision is to see every man, woman, and child equipped that key word, equipped yes, right. to be productive citizens uh, through the life-saving, uh, transformational life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. But people just think we're emergency shelter services, and we're so much more than that. So, and it takes an entire community to address this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Wheeler is, we're here to help. Yeah. Um, we want homelessness. I was telling someone before, mm-hmm. uh, we don't say homeless people mm-hmm. uh, are homeless individuals. It's mm-hmm. individuals experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. It's an mm-hmm. adverb, not an adjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we like to say that we're here to make sure what, if people are experiencing homelessness, mm-hmm. that we would like to make it rare, Yes, we like to make it brief, mm-hmm. and we like to make it non-continuous. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those are the three areas that we really try to work hard on. Yes. Uh, and we think not only attending to those basic needs, yeah. those emergency shelter needs, um, but we try to move them through mm-hmm. a continuum of care mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. until they come out on the other side. That could be six months, could be 12 months. Sometimes, Chris, it could last until two years. Mm-hmm. It's all dependent on the individual right. and basically how God moves in their life. Mm-hmm. You've just spoken, and, and when you and I have met previously, we've we've spoken some about um, what I might call harmful misrepresentations of those who are experiencing homelessness and, and the importance of sort of correcting and responding to them. I wonder if you could speak to some of those myths um, and perhaps give us a more holistic or accurate picture of the need that we're experiencing in our city and our state and correct us in those places where we have perhaps stereotyped or thought of folks as a category rather than mm-hmm. as individuals. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, there are a lot of misconceptions, uh, myths about the the, the homeless. Mm-hmm. We, we like to make a distinction between panhandling and homelessness. Mm-hmm. Those individuals you, you see on the streets asking for money or, or, you know, nine times out of ten, they're really not homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, they're panhandlers. Mm-hmm. But homelessness is something, Chris, that you don't advertise. People are mm-hmm. embarrassed. Nobody wants to be considered homeless. Yes. And when they show up, uh, when the thousand or so uh, men, women, and children, every night, every night of the week, 365 days a year, that show up at our shelters, 
uh, when they show up, we're the place of last resort. They don't want to be there. And so we know that. Our case managers and counselors and uh, the more than 200 employees of Wheeler know that. And so we like to say, we understand you. We see you. Come in. Mm -hmm. We accept everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And we... One of the biggest myths that a lot of people have about individuals experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. is that they don't work. Yeah. Probably 50% of the, our folks go to a job every day. Mm-hmm. It's just not a sustainable wage. Right. And so they, because of all the confluence of factors like lack of affordable housing, probably low job skills, and so the jobs that they do have are non-sustainable jobs or mm-hmm. or um, uh, jobs that don't allow them to participate in the housing market, mm-hmm. they come to us. Um, and they we have so many folks who they get up and they eat breakfast with us and they go off to a job and then they come back in the evening and they eat dinner and they sleep with us and they start the routine all over again. Right. And so, but we are there, we're that place for them we're that safety net mm-hmm. to catch them when they need to access services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that we are a part of is that this city is a great city. Um, we have such a good array of services. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it a continuum of care services. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if Wheeler can't help you and Wheeler may not be the place for you after so many weeks or months, mm-hmm. we like to make sure that we have such good relationships with all those organizations out there that we are able to refer and help move on a person, an individual, onto their next part of their journey. The other, one of the other myths is that uh, typically people think there's so many places for women and children. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, Mm -hmm. but we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. Last night, we slept at least 140 kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And an equal number of women at our Women's and Children's Center over on Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yesterday we served about 1,400 meals breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's just, the numbers are staggering they when are. you think about them. Yeah, and one of the other myths is uh, that there are young people who are not homeless. It's not true. Mm-hmm. I was participating in something called the point in time count mm-hmm. last week here mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. And I was talking to, which is basically is a is a nation, nationwide time where they go out and they basically do a census mm-hmm. of those individuals who are unsheltered or unhoused every year mm-hmm. for a couple of nights in January. Mm-hmm. And so they depend on a group of volunteers like me mm-hmm. to go out and who are trained. The old days is clipboard, but now it's like an app on yeah, our phone yeah, where yeah. we catalog and, and uh, get people, basically survey them mm-hmm. about their housing situation. Um, just one of the most impactful stories I had was talking to an individual who was 22 years old. You might say, how does someone 22 years old, Mm. how are they homeless? Mm. Well, he was. Mm -hmm. And was he suffering from some form of mental illness? Probably. Mm -hmm. Was he suffering some some form of substance uh, or uh, substance abuse? Probably. Mm -hmm. That's about 60 to 70% of the people we see every night. Mm. Have uh, are dual diagnosed. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. some type of uh, mental illness and some type of substance uh, abuse or addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, people think that it's individuals who are older. Mm-hmm. They're all kinds of. I mean, it runs the spectrum: black, white, mm-hmm. men, men, women, children, young, old, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who um, have college educations, mm-hmm. <laughs> and people who have nothing more who didn't finish high school. Yes. So it, it's really a reflection of society. Yes. Yes. When I was uh, when I was a seminary student um, 15 years ago or so, I served as a, an overnight host at one of the men's shelters in Atlanta, and 
uh, three nights a week. And one of the myths that was quickly dispelled for me was this myth of uh, folks not having employment because when you're the overnight host, you have to stay up until yep. the last person you comes do. in you do. from his job, and you have to wake up to serve breakfast to exactly. the first person who needs to leave. And there were men every night who were coming in 11.30, 12 o'clock at night because they were leaving. You know, they were cleaning at the Georgia Dome, exactly. or they were, you know, they were finishing night shift jobs and then coming to the shelter. And then there were men who were leaving, you know, before sunrise every day to to go start their work day. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that um, there are ways in which it becomes easier to dismiss folks when you can paint them with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. And the, the lived experience of hearing the stories like the ones you heard last night, hearing the stories of, of those who are um, in need of shelter really kind of busts a lot of the myths that we like to tell that maybe bring us comfort because we say, well, there's something they have done or are not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and surely that is the case in some individual stories. But um, all of us are more complex um, than those brushes we like to paint each other with, I think. It's sort of a, in a similar uh, vein, um, and you've talked about this, um, I find that discussions around those experiencing homelessness can sometimes become a kind of political football, uh, particularly, you think? Around, <laughs> 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 particularly around the question of long-term solutions. Sure. Um, and so I wonder what kind of resources and policies uh, you believe would make the greatest impact in our state, or, or perhaps another way to put it, what do you wish elected leaders would know about this crisis um, and our response to it? Great question. Um, we're fortunate we're here in Indianapolis mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana, and our, our government officials understand mm-hmm. that the, the issue of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say they fully understand and comprehend, but at least they are interested yes. and they want to be a provider or, or provider of solutions. Mm-hmm. People ask me all the time, how can we end homelessness? Right. And I typically, try, in the most pastoral way <laughs> I can, yes. I try to say, we will never end homelessness. Mm-hmm. And they were, what do you mean? We, we have to end homelessness. We're throwing all of these government resources. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and I, I say, well, uh, the reason I say that is it's it's what we, we're told in the Bible. It's biblical. Mm-hmm. The Bible says the poor will always be among us, and the poor and the widows and the orphans will always be among us. Mm-hmm. And for modern day, you know, uh, our culture, mm-hmm. what best exemplifies uh, uh, the poor mm-hmm. than individuals experiencing homelessness? And mm-hmm. so... Even though I truly in my heart feel we can really never end homelessness, I, I do look forward to the day and have hope that we would we would work ourselves out of a job mm. because that's that's what we are trying to do is that we, we we would love to not have to do what we do every night mm-hmm. and that every man, woman, and child uh, has safe shelter uh, and can easily rest their heads somewhere mm-hmm. um, that they are loved and cared for. But... They, our elected leaders are trying to, to often solve a problem that is it really spiritual at, at its foundation. Uh, and I think the people of faith all around this city and the state really need to step up and have, an under, have a better understanding of we have to go beyond just providing for the basic needs. Um, there's so much more, it's so much more complex and and there are reasons that people are, are, are experiencing homelessness. And we have to get to understand all of those 
things that are needed for them to experience community and those wraparound services and and um, those spiritual foundations um, that are necessary for long-term sustainable progress mm-hmm. toward uh, at least reducing the episodic uh, and the chronic and the sporadic and the uh, long-term homelessness mm-hmm. issue here in, here in our city and state. My prayer oftentimes uh, is for people to come together as one to tackle this issue and solve the problem. And But sometimes politics gets in the way and mm-hmm. city and, and business leaders they want to spruce up the city, and yeah. they want to hide sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they do it here in Indy, but mm-hmm. sometimes they want to hide uh, the problem if they have a big event coming in town. And those are not the ways that we really should solve them. We really should try to get to the root causes yes. of homelessness. Yes. Um, too often, we're linked with crime, mm-hmm. um, and we should not be. Mm-hmm. Um, those individuals who are experiencing homelessness are not criminals for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now, do we um, get a lot of folks who are coming straight from the courts, the mm-hmm. court system, or e- even uh, eviction court where individuals are evicted from the homes? Yes, of course we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our experience here in Indianapolis and in Bloomington is the other city we're in right. here in the state of Indiana. Crime is, is it should be divorced from homelessness. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. two different areas and two different tracks that government officials and city leaders can can work uh, going down uh, that track, but too often they're conflated yes. and it's political yes. and and it starts to get tossed around and and in ways that are just not very helpful. Yeah, it, it seems seems like another one of those convenient myths that on closer inspection may may be a, yep. a, a misperception. One of the things I really appreciate about the way that you are leading Wheeler and the way that Wheeler functions is this balance of um, what you all call individual level factors that uh, contribute to homelessness. And then also these more systemic concerns. Um, We've talked about them already today, the availability of affordable housing, access to jobs that pay livable wages, um, and services. This is a place where that continuum of care, I think, is so essential. Services that connect people to the resources that already exist. Um, Often it feels to me as if the bridge between the need and the resources that are already being provided is that um, is that missing link. How do you think about those systemic issues and, and in tension with or in conversation with the, the individual needs? Well, in order to answer this question, I'll kind of give you a little background Please, about yes. kind of what, what happens is once an individual comes to us, and they usually come, we're often called the, the front door to the city of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. Wheeler is mm-hmm. homelessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once those basic needs are met, what our staff does is they really try to work hard to triage and assess the immediate needs, those things that uh, right. point each person to, to whatever their next best step is in their journey. Right. Uh, that step can be you know, to, to go through Wheeler's programs, our, our drug, alcohol, or uh, addiction recovery programs. Mm-hmm. We have some limited mental health uh, expertise, but mm-hmm. we're by no, no means the experts in, in mental health, so we have a, an array of organizations that we refer them to. Mm-hmm. So either way, what we like to do is we encourage each guest to consider the long-term solutions to their current situation. And yeah. so basically... If once we make that initial assessment, we triage, and we get them, we have a plan, a path uh, for them, then we start to work on some of the systemic issues that they have in their in their lives. And mm-hmm. that you can boil it down to a basic set of systemic issues, mm-hmm. um, but every individual is different, uh, and they've experienced life in a different way, and they've had different 
different things come at them in different ways. And so, and we kind of see them in waves too. So now we're seeing more, more immigrant, mm-hmm. some immigrant issues. And so there's some language con- barriers mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, um, you know, there are a group of people who are, they need our services mm-hmm. or services of some of the other care providers in town, but they would never come in. They, they want uh-huh. to stay outside or they, they don't want to access the services. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to address systemic issues mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, when individuals won't even recognize that mm-hmm. they need those, those kinds of mm-hmm. that basic help. Mm-hmm. So the individuals who do, though, um, often find themselves in a situation where there is a, a plethora of opportunities and services and resources for them. Um, sometimes they get lost in the system. Sometimes they get misdirected and pointed in the, in the wrong direction. Um, but that's where we come in. And we feel that true life transformation you know, can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what we try to do is make sure that we are there to try to point them. We don't require it. Mm-hmm. Um, some someone said, "Well, uh, don't you require all these things? Don't, don't they have to sign things to come in and uh, access your services?" And I, I often say, "Absolutely not. Mm-hmm, we are a low barrier shelter. Now, mm-hmm. you've got to come through our metal detectors, and mm-hmm. you can't come in packing heat. Right, <laughs> can't right, come in right. with with ill will and ill intentions. And um, but no, there we are considered a low barrier shelter. Mm-hmm. And then something now called winter contingency, Chris. Mm-hmm. It, we, we, it's um, November to March." Uh, like I said before, the numbers will swell, but mm-hmm. we routinely house anywhere from 250 to 350 more people than normal. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's mm-hmm. anywhere from 800 to 900 a night, but then it swells mm-hmm. during the colder months of, of the year. Mm-hmm. And so it's more of a challenge to overcome the systemic issues right. with those individuals who are coming in just for winter contingency. Mm-hmm. They come in in November, and they often leave in March when the weather starts to turn. Mm-hmm. And I was telling someone tonight it's not going to be so bad mm-hmm. because the weather, mm-hmm. it, it's nice weather. So what we try to do is uh, attend to their basic needs first, uh, move them along in this whole continuum in their journey, and then um, uncover and uh, the, the systemic issues. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are barriers, systemic barriers as well, accessing services. And so we try to break down those barriers, particularly with our partners. Mm-hmm. And we have such great continuum of care community here, and mm-hmm. and we love to partner with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I was recently with uh, leadership of a local um, healthcare system, and um, they were talking about the shift in language from social determinants of health to social impediments to health. Mm-hmm. Um, this notion that um, you know our our context, our background, our stories uh, do not determine our future. Um, there may be things beyond our control that that impede our ability to move toward health, mm. uh, but they ultimately do not determine our future. And I think part of what Wheeler stands for in that that basic mis- mission statement of being a place of hope, help, and healing um, is that there may be impediments, but your past and the, the sort of uh, background from which you come does not determine what your future may hold. That's the good thing about having um, an organization that's a faith-based organization. So um, a lot of people often uh, say that we accept government funds. Um, we largely, yeah, 95% of what we depend on are individuals and churches and and um, uh, non-government-related funds. Mm-hmm. The pandemic changed that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't accept direct government funding, but mm-hmm. uh, it was through the national uh, government, through the city government, and then to us where we operated 
hotels for them. Mm-hmm. But if, they, if you have Jesus Christ as a foundation or a faith-based foundation, mm-hmm. then I think you can start to see clearly and start to tackle mm-hmm. a lot of the issues. And so until you can get out of that, until you can have your basic needs met, mm-hmm. it's really, really hard mm-hmm. to think about um, tackling those other larger, long-term solutions. Yes. Yeah, you've you've anticipated my my next question, which uh, and you've you've said the the community of faith, uh, people of faith, need to step up. That sure. that the opportunity is there and the call is there. Um, what what would you say to congregations um, like the one I serve and others in our city and in our state about the the unique role that people of faith have to to play in responding to material needs of our neighbors? I think about. Um, you know, the basic tenet of so many faiths that each person uh, reflects the divine image yeah. to us, that there is no person that we encounter in whom the divine image has not been implanted, and therefore we have to respond to them, um, you know, not only as a human being in need standing in front of us, but as the very picture of God mm-hmm. presented to us as well. Yeah, there's so many opportunities for the faith-based community, the community in general, mm-hmm. to step up to the plate. That of course, um, we I think last year our numbers pretty staggering. We had twenty five thousand mm. um, volunteer hours, oh, wow. um, and um, so that's that's pretty staggering. We fed three hundred thousand mm. um, meals last year, wow. three and uh, eight thousand individuals, and three hundred thousand meals, and mm. and so so many hundreds of thousands. I think two hundred fifty thousand safe nights, mm. uh, nights of safe shelter. Mm. So there are a number of different things that people of faith can step up. Um, of course, volunteering, we have so many areas for people to volunteer, to do everything from server meal mm-hmm. to helping with our large fundraiser called mm-hmm. Drumstick Dash mm-hmm. uh, to coming in just uh, doing a helping with a Bible study uh, that we have. Or we have some individuals who have very specialized services like doctors and nurses who volunteer. Mm-hmm. We, we operate um, you know, clinics um, in our buildings. Um, so, uh, uh, hair, people who cut hair, yes. you know, we had an yes. individual, a mm-hmm. touching story of an individual who at our thrift store up north, an older gentleman, he was retired and he just wanted to help in some way, but it, and, uh, we struggled to try to figure out how he could help mm-hmm. us. But it turned out that the individual, uh, this gentleman who has now since passed away, he loved to shine shoes. Mm-hmm. And so he came, he was very faithful about shining shoes at our thrift store, mm-hmm. To make them nice and spiffy and shiny, and mm-hmm. so that we can put them on display mm-hmm. for sale, uh, and the, with the proceeds going to help the work that we do. Um, and I'm not gonna, I don't want to delve into too many confidential uh, aspects of that. But that gentleman uh, would make notes in his um, mm-hmm. in a journal that he had, and before he passed away, this last thing he noted was uh, helping wheelers shine shoes. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that was pretty touching. That's and and uh, even his family asked for donations mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of shoes mm-hmm. uh, instead of flowers and things like yeah. that to, don- to donate to our thrift store. So, yeah. um, so there's mm-hmm. so many different ways that individuals can help. You know, the next uh, area for us at, at Wheeler is, you know, so Wheeler's secret sauce, I'm, ask, mm-hmm. I'm asked all the time, what is Wheeler's secret mm-hmm. sauce? Mm-hmm. Our secret sauce is not only do we help on the front end and move them through the continuum of care to to supportive services, but what happens after they leave right. our four walls? Right. They've been clustered for whatever period of time with us loving on them and um, 
kind of in a little cocoon, if you will, what happens after they leave our four walls. And so that area of supportive services is probably the next area of focus for Wheeler over the next five to 10 years mm. is developing yeah. those relationships um, uh, to try to help individuals with wraparound services after they leave our four walls. Mm. And a lot of that is employment opportunities and, and yeah. workforce development. And so, you know, if you have a business uh, mm-hmm. or if you have a, even a, a small uh, independent organization uh, that you could use some help with. I mean, people need jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a myth that people don't want to work. Mm-hmm. They do want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it has to be work that it's meaningful and is dignity-filled. Right. Um, and so there's so many ways that faith-based community and, and the community in general mm-hmm. can step up to the plate and mm-hmm. help us do what we do mm-hmm. each and every night. Yeah. I love that, Perry. The for me, uh, Scripture witnesses to abundance, not scarcity. And when we think about um, the myth of scarcity, says that needs will always outpace um, gifts. And the truth is that when we begin our process of of caring for our neighbors by asking, not what do they need, but what do they have to offer, what gifts do they bring, um, uh, we can unlock all sorts of opportunities. And certainly there is a need in our city and in our state for um, skilled labor, for folks who have the ability to grow and learn and acquire degrees and certifications so that then they can not only make a meaningful life for themselves, but also serve the community back. Um, And some of my favorite stories in our own food pantry at, at at Second Church are those stories of folks who return to volunteer having mm-hmm. been clients of the pantry who then want yeah. to give back because it has meant something to them and they've been able to come to a place where they can um, not be served but serve. So that's that's interesting because we have a we have typically anywhere from 200 to 225 um, during high season, maybe up to 230 individuals mm-hmm. with some seasonal workers mm-hmm. uh, on our staff, mm-hmm. fully a third of our individuals are folks who have come through one of our programs. So who better to know how to minister and uh, know where this broken, um, Mm -hmm. hopeless individual who comes to us, Mm -hmm. what they're feeling and and what they're thinking and how embarrassed they are and Mm -hmm. and just, uh, they, but they're reaching out and and they need help. Mm -hmm. Who better to help them than someone who has just been there themselves and so... So fully a third of our staff of mm. individuals who uh, have gone through our programs. And um, when, one of the things that we did when I w- became CEO, we had to do some internal reorganization. And one of the individuals that we elevated to, to, to be at the executive table mm. was an individual who had come through our programs um, um, mm. 15 years ago. Wow, and that's wow. the first time mm. we have ever had an individual who got a graduate of our programs sitting at the table wow with wow. us when we're making decisions from the executive level yes. about what we are, how we're going to bring our services mm. to those individuals. Mm. And so it, that voice is just invaluable. Yes. I'm sure you, you found that out in your, your food pantry. Yes. But um, as an employer, there's also, a, a, if a third of your staff um, mm. have gone through your programs, we know the relapse rate is pretty high as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we are called to be, when they relapse, then an employee you know, um, we're called to be grace-filled mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. uh, what the situation is. And so we're not like the normal employer. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you're not going to automatically get fired. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some cases you are, mm-hmm. you know, if you're trying to walk out with a safe or something like <laughs> yes. that, you're not trying to steal or whatever. But most individuals just relapse and then we either find out about it or they tell us and then we work with them. 
you know, while still being in, uh, working through our programs. And so we, we think that's something that we're called to do as well. Um, if we're going to, we have to, you know, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. If we're asking other people to be grace-filled and, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. uh, work with us, then we, at the same time, have to do the same thing. Right. Well, Perry, Wheeler Mission walks the walk and encourages all of us to do the same. You all are a shining light in our city and in our state for what good communities are built of, um, which is care and compassion, uh, meeting immediate needs, but also trying to set folks on a, on a path to sustainability. I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for your leadership. I'm grateful for what Wheeler Mission means in our city and state, and most of all, for your faithfulness uh, to the call that has been placed on your life. So thank wow. you so much for being a guest today on Faithful Discourse. Is it over already? <laughs> Where'd the time go? We, we uh, we're just we getting warmed to, up. We're just getting warmed <laughs> up, so we'll have to have part two to this conversation. So mm. grateful for now, it. Chris, thank you so, so much, and thank you for you're such an addition to our, our city. And uh, I, uh, years ago, used to do, um, uh, let me digress a little bit, but Second Prez is an icon, mm. as you know, legend mm. in our community. And it's such a pillar um, for us that we stand on mm. um, from a spiritual and faith-based standpoint. And to have someone like you, young, <laughs> different points of view, yeah, and someone who didn't grow up here uh, and, and coming in from the outside, I'm sure it's been a breath of fresh air. And so the waves that you're making and the impact you're making in the community is tremendous. And so we all have our mission fields. And yes. so this is my mission field for a while. It's your mission field for hopefully a long, long, long time. <laughs> um, you know, and and uh, um, But we all have a role to play. And so that's what we try to let people know is there's so much work mm-hmm. to be done Amen. for the higher purpose of helping individuals and those in our society who are often forgotten and some of the most vulnerable, whether they're sitting in a pew in church uh, on Sunday or they're uh, sitting on a city corner uh, street uh, with nowhere else to go. So I'm grateful and and uh, that God has enabled me to play a small part uh, in what we're doing every day. And so thank you for allowing me to have a platform like this. And, oh, absolutely. And uh, I love I always love to get out the word about yeah. Wheeler and and. Uh, what we do, and how people can help us. Yes. Well, grateful we're on the journey together. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Perry Hines. And thank you all for listening. We would love to have you provide a review or a rating of the podcast. Let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes. And please share episodes with friends and neighbors near and far. I look forward to continuing the conversation on the next Faithful Discourse with Chris Henry. And until then, take care of each other.